And in verse 17, we read this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then turn over to Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, we read this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool! God calls the man a fool. This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and catch this, is not rich toward God. Father, this morning, uh, we need your presence. Uh, Father, we may need you like no other morning. For the God of our hearts is desire for more. Father, we believe that we can replace you with about anything and everything. We use you in our prayer lives to get our real God. (laughs) Father, we dream about Anything but you. And so, Father, this morning we need your Spirit to come and convict us of sin. We need you to come and we need your Word to be as a scalpel in a surgeon's hand to do deep work in us, to expose the idol of our heart. And then, Father, we need your spirit, to believe the truth of the gospel. That, Lord Jesus, you love sinners like us. (laughs) That you are a God for your people. That you will not leave us alone. That, that, Father, you will meet us in our time of need as we cry out to you and we say, God, help us. We believe, but help us in our unbelief. And so, you have promised to be a God that will run to us because your spirit is the helper, the one who hears our cries. So God, may we cry out this morning. May we be sorrowful over our sin. May we hate our sin. May it be despicable to us. But oh, Father, in the midst of it, may the cross grow so large that our hearts fill up with love in ways that they never have before. 
Lord Jesus, would you become so large to us? Would, would your wealth and your riches and the treasure of heaven become so glorious to us that we would let go of the things of this world and we would hold on to you, seeing you hold on to us? Oh God, thank you for your eternal grip. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the satisfaction and the, the absolute completeness of your atoning work on the cross and the fullness of your obedience to the law in our place. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're the only hero in this place. You're the only source of life. So, God, shake us from the things that we run to for life. And would you bring us in great repentance and faith in you. Oh, God, we need you this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Give me strength I don't have. Give me words I don't have. Give me power I don't have. I stand before you this morning guilty of the sin of covetousness. I need you this morning, oh God. So God, do your work among us. Free us, oh Jesus. We beg you. For we pray in your name. Amen. Who in here wants to be rich? Who in here wants to be filthy rich? (laughs) I mean, not a Warren Buffett kind of rich. I'm talking filthy rich. Not a Jay-Z, Beyonce. I'm talking not Oprah. I'm talking filthy, stinking rich. I can't imagine there's anybody in here that at least secretly doesn't want to be rich. And God knows that. Because I want you to hear from me this morning that He made you to be rich. He made you to be wealthy. (laughs) He made you to be filthy, stinking rich. As we come to our passage this morning, it's very clear. Do not covet. And as we've seen with every other commandment, to the, the prohibition, there is also a contradiction, a positive. Uh, everything that God tells us not to do, He offers us something to do. In other words, lo, in, in other words, uh, you shall have no other gods before Me. And Jesus restates it positively as the greatest commandment. In what way? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You see, the commandments tell us, do not steal. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 and 28, stop stealing, get a job, but why? So that you may have something to share with him who is in need. We are not to murder, but what are we to do? We are to love our neighbor as ourselves and treat them as we would treat ourselves. We are not to commit adultery, but what are we to do? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. With every negative, there's a positive command. There's something that we are to do, and this morning is no exception. You see, in calling us to not covet, He is really calling us to be content. 
And we see that in Paul's life. He's writing from a Roman jail when he wrote the book of Philippians. And, and they are worried about him. And they come to him and he says, guys, you don't have to worry about me. Why? Because I have learned to be content in any and all situations. You see, Paul possessed what? A wealth that no circumstance, no trial of life could steal from him because it was not a wealth of this world. And that's what Jesus wants to get us into this morning. And we see it in our passage. In Luke chapter 12, it ends by saying this in verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not what? Rich toward God. Do you want to know how to become stinking, filthy, rich? It's to stop thinking that the things of this world are going to make you wealthy. And it's to start laying up treasure that is in heaven. It's to start understanding that, yes, you are not wrong and that you do, and, and that God made you to be rich. He made you to be wealthy, but it's not with the stuff of this earth. The stuff of this earth, no matter what it is, the greatest thing that you can possibly dream of possessing this side of heaven is only a small taste of the incredible wealth of glory. I mean, that's the reason God has given us the good things of the earth. One of the major distinctions between Christianity and every other religion is that Christianity looks at the material as good. Every other religion looks at the material as bad. Christianity says God made it and looked at it and said what? It is good. So he's not telling us to hate the world. He's not telling us to hate material stuff. He's not even telling us that that if we're wealthy that we're living in sin. But what he is telling us is that if we're wealthy or not wealthy, whatever we have, all we have is a taste of what we've been made for. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus is telling us there is a wealth that transcends any earthly riches. And if we live for that wealth, it will free our soul. It's a wealth that that Jesus offered to the woman at the well. This poor woman had been going to the well, no telling how many years, taking the bucket, dipping the bucket down, lifting the bucket up, putting it on her head, into the village, pour out the bucket, back to over and over and over again. And Jesus comes to her and says, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, woman. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will come in him, a well of water springing up to eternal life. You know the first thing that woman said? Give me some of that water. God wants us to be filthy, stinking, rich. And therefore he says, do not covet. Let's go to work. And let's see how we can become filthy, stinking rich with God. The first thing that we have to understand is that being rich toward God demands recognizing the foolishness of coveting. He calls the man a fool. You fool. Let that sink in for a minute. God calls someone a fool. Why? Because we're all foolish. Our staff got together this week 
at one of our meetings this week. We met a couple of times, and <clears throat> before everybody got there and before we got rolling, Chris, uh, Chris said, hey, have y'all seen the signage on the side of the pyramid? Has anybody here seen the signage on the side of the pyramid yet? <clears throat> All right, some of you. Well, he said, it's a duck head. He said, could they have not done better than that? A duck head. And the thing is, I've seen that signage too. I see it on my way home, and I had a completely different take. I said, it's a duck head. That is awesome. And the reason I did... It's because when I see that duckhead on the side of the pyramid or on the back of a four-wheel drive pickup truck, I begin dreaming. I think about those mornings in January where it's so cold, where I'm in my waders and I'm breaking ice to get to a tree to take cover. I've got my duck calls around my neck. We've got the... The decoys laid out perfectly. We start calling. It's quiet. We can't even really see each other yet. We hear the ducks in the distance, and we're calling, and we're calling, and we can tell they're getting closer. We hear the wind of, of, of um, the, the wings that, uh, of ducks coming overhead. They're circling. They're circling until finally we can see them like just bullets coming down. They're dropping in. Boom, boom, boom. The ducks hit the water. It splashes. The lab runs to get the duck. He brings the duck back. We laugh. We congratulate. We make fun of the guy that missed. We enjoy the morning. We limit out. We get back out. We get on the four-wheeler. We get in our four-wheel drive. We get out of the woods. We go find a sausage biscuit somewhere and coffee and... Now, maybe 90% of you in here are thinking, this man is sick. You know, <laughs> He needs help. Our pastor needs some serious help. But let me tell you, that's exactly what I think when I go shopping with my wife and my daughters. I, w- I want to say, Kate Spade, who in the world is that? You can get the same purse at Target for $15.20. Richard, you don't understand. Exactly. I don't understand. Because my heart is not set on Kate Spade purses. But my heart is set on something. And yours is too. I mean, do you get it? You have to do some work. You have to understand that all of our hearts are designed to be fulfilled by something great. And anything short of God is just going to leave us more empty. But unless we understand what that thing is in this moment, then we are we live in a lie. We are enslavement. We are blind. And so, friends, it's not enough just to say, do not covet, let's go home. We've got to see what it is that we are coveting. Is it that new Apple Watch? <laughs> Is it that pair of Jordans? I mean, what is it? Is it that vacation, that that beach, or that mountain trip, or that... Do you see that, that God does something that 
He doesn't do in any other commandments. He gets specific. He says, do not covet your neighbor's house. He gets specific. Man, how often. Anybody in here a Zillow or true, whatever, true, whatever that word is? Junkie? No, okay, man, I'm just, I'm sorry. If you were preaching this sermon, you would, you would be exposed to, okay? Uh, man, I'm looking at houses all the time on Zillow. There it is. Don't covet. He doesn't just say don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's house. And what's crazy to me is he puts that before your neighbor's wife. <laughs> but he, did, he says, do not covet your neighbor's wife either. Don't covet your, your neighbor's manservant or female servant or ox. I mean, I think the whole servant part is is job, is employment, or is the success of their business. I mean, they have great people working with and for them. You know, the ox is, I don't know if you're, you know, today it would be a John Deere, brand new John Deere tractor, or whatever it is in your trade and your profession. Donkey. How about a Ferrari? Or anything that is your neighbor's. See, we've got to get specific because God gets specific. Coveting is a strong desire, let's define it, a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people have, get this, get this, irrespective of need. Not about need. All right? The Greek word used here signifies a craving or strong desire. So coveting is a longing for that which we do not need. God is not talking about desiring the things that we do need. We see it in verses 29 through 30. We didn't read those this morning, but in Luke 12, 29 through 30, we read this. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried about these things. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you, get this, need them. You see, God knows what you need. The problem is we don't want what we need exclusively, but we want what we don't need. And that's the problem. What is it that you are longing for that you know you don't need? In, in, in Luke 12, Jesus does something weird. I mean, the definition that I just gave of coveting is a definition that probably most of us get. We've always thought probably of coveting as longing for something that we don't necessarily need. All right? And yet, in Luke 12, and in our passage that we read this morning, that's not the picture that Jesus gives us. But he gives us the picture of coveting as someone, a rich man, who has an incredible year on his farm. And he makes so much money, or, or, or so, um, yeah, he makes, produces such a huge crop that he's like, what am I going to do with it all? And what does he do? He says, oh, I got it. I'm going to tear down the little tiny barns that I have, and I'm going to build bigger barns. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. 
And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. Now catch this. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. And be merry. You know the connection between hoarding wealth and longing for wealth? It's the trust and the security and the belief that if I get it, then I can relax, I can eat, I can drink, and I can just be merry. The Greek word there for merry means to be happy. To make glad, to cheer up, or to cause to be happy. You've heard it, and I've heard it. What's the mantra of our age? I just want to be happy. I just want you to be happy. It it governs our parenting. I, I just want my children to be happy. Why, why did you leave your husband? Why did you leave? I just wanted to be happy. Uh, why did you? Why were you dishonest? I just want to be happy. And that's what we want. We want to be happy. We want to eat, relax, drink, eat some more, relax, drink some more, and be happy. Hoarding wealth is all about security. You know, the one who hoards wealth really can cannot be a materialist in the traditional sort of way. In other words, they may not buy a lot of fancy things. And yet their sin is secret because what they do is they look at their financial sheet as some people look at pornography. They look at it and they see that there's been an increase and something goes off inside of them. It gives them such a life that nothing else in this world can give them. The same kind of life that I can get dreaming about owning a farm where the ducks come in every day during duck season. The same kind of life that you can get dreaming about that new purse or those new Jordans, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It just is. We don't have to defend it. It just is. Our hearts have been deceived by it. Our hearts dream about it. Our hearts are set upon it. So whether we're hoarding or whether we're longing for something that we know that we can't have, we're coveting. And Jesus tells us as long as you're doing that, you're never going to be really wealthy. Alec de Tocqueville was a French thinker and uh, wrote on democracy and so forth. And when he came to America, he said this about Americans. He said, these people have a strange melancholy, there's just this downward face that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. Dear friends, as we talk about coveting, we're we're, we're talking about desiring stuff or hoarding stuff, but I want you to know that I'm preaching to the most wealthy people in the world. And not just the most wealthy people in the world, the most wealthy people in the history of the world. 
So this doesn't apply to that person that you've heard has a lot of money. Or you've seen whatever, and you oh yeah, man, this, I hope they're listening this morning. This is about you and me. Because when Jesus was talking about this, when, when Moses received this and gave it to the people, if somebody had more than two outfits, they were stinking rich. If they had three outfits, oh man, they're a prince or a king. How many outfits do you have? How many pair of shoes do you have? How, you get the point. You see, my conversation with Chris revealed something in me. And dear friends, I hope that something's being revealed in you this morning. Secondly, we need to understand that being rich toward God demands recognizing that life is not rooted in money or stuff. Life is not rooted in money or stuff. You say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we really have to believe, if we're going to make that that switch, if we're going to flip it and say, okay, I no longer am pursuing the wealth of this world, the stuff of this world, I'm no longer holding on to what I have, but I'm going to get to the point where I can let it go, where I can give to the poor, as we're going to see we're commanded in a little while, and so forth, then we have to believe that life is not rooted in money or stuff. In other words, we have to wake up. That's exactly what happens to this rich man. He wakes up. I mean, that's why he's a fool. He's deceived one moment, and then all of a sudden, boom, okay, man, that was stupid. I've wasted my whole life because I couldn't take anything with me. This past August, I was, I guess, feeding my covetous nature, and I was in uh, Vancouver Island, uh, Canada, fishing and camping for about ten days. And... One day we took out my friend's boat, and I was so excited to get out on the ocean in this boat. But it was about an 18-foot boat, and um, it was great when we went out. It was sunny. Uh, We were catching the rays. We were catching fish. Everything was great. And then out of nowhere, this wind, the wind picked up, the wave started, and I mean, it was, I thought, we are in trouble. And so it was so bad, as my friend was driving the boat back, I got down in the bottom of the boat and was holding on to anything I could possibly hold on to, thinking, we're going over. And when we do, this water's so cold, I may have a minute, and there's no way that I'm going to get to the shore. So this is it, people. This is it. And so I'm holding on, and I mean, we the waves would take us up, and then, boom, just slam us down. Boom, I'm thinking, I'm going to break a rib. But at this point, I just want to get to land, you know. And then my friend is yelling something, and I'm like, what are, you, what are you saying? I kind of crawl back there, and I'm getting thrown around, and he said, we're lost. <laughs> I said, you idiot! <laughs> what you paying attention? <laughs> and then the whole veil of the romanticism of this day just kind of dropped. And I realized we're in deep trouble. It's getting dark, the waves are tall, this water is cold, and we don't know where we are. And he said, if we don't see port around that next island, we're in trouble. And so I started praying, and I'm sure he was praying too. We're both ministers, and uh, we're praying. Obviously not very smart ones, but uh, we do know to pray. And sure enough, around the corner... We saw a port, and we 
thank Jesus once we got to land (laughs) and could talk and hug each other. That kind of awakening is what we've got to have with the kind of lie that we live. We're safe. We're good. All this coveting stuff, all this material, that's for other people. I'm not that wealthy. I'm not that... I mean, it's just a pair of running shoes. I mean, yeah, okay, I look at it 14 times a day and check the price and see if I can save 30 cents. And when it drops down on this site, then I... Do you get it? It's not about balance. It's not about the bottom line of how much it is. It's about what your heart is desiring, where you're putting your trust. Dear friends, it's all about control. And you know that the, the root of any addiction is control. It's saying, I'm going to determine where life is. I'm going to determine what's going to give me life in this moment. That just means you're an addict. An addict just chooses heroin or cocaine or whatever. And you're choosing running shoes or millions of dollars, whatever it is. Tim Keller wrote this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He said, money can become a spiritual addiction. And like, I love this, kind of, I think it's powerful. I don't know how much I love it. but uh, And like all addictions, it hides its true proportions from its victims. In other words, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No addict thinks it's really that big of a deal. We take more and greater risks to get an ever-diminishing ever satisfaction from the thing we crave until a breakdown occurs. When we begin to recover, we ask, what were we thinking? How could we have been so blind? We wake up like people with a hangover who can hardly remember the night before. But why? Why did we act so irrationally? Why did we completely lose sight of what is right? God says that's how we're going to be at the end of time and we stand before Him if we have coveted and lived our lives lives hoarding our wealth or pursuing wealth or pursuing whatever instead of Him. That that awareness, is the, the veil is going to go back and we're going to go, oh no, what a fool I am. Isn't that amazing? What are you trusting? And then finally, being rich toward God is a conscious choice. Being rich toward God is a conscious choice. It's not just going to happen, folks. It's not just going to happen. My son-in-law, Nate, married to Ashley, um, about, I don't know, eight months ago, started, um, left teaching and went into the field of financial management and uh, investment. And we've had numerous conversations, and I've been to one of his meetings, and And one thing that I hear from him over and over and over and over again is that wealth doesn't just happen. That you have to plan for it. That you have to have a plan. That that it takes, you've got to look ahead and you've got to say, okay, how am I going to get there? Our text tells us, the parable tells us, that the rich man, I love this, Thought to himself. Wow. Could you tell that I've been thinking to myself about duck hunting for a long, 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 long time? 
And folks, I could keep describing duck hunting all day long if you wanted to. You know why? Because I have thought to myself. We all do it. We're all preachers. We preach to our heart. The most effective preacher in this room is you, for you. The most powerful preacher for you is you. And until you and I change the message that we're preaching to ourselves, we're going to have the same result. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, be intentional. Listen to Philippians 4, 10-13, the whole passage that I mentioned earlier about Paul. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. You can tell I'm so, thank you for being concerned for me. But you had no opportunity, not that I am speaking of being in need. It's like, guys, I'm okay. I'm I'm really honored. I'm blessed by your love and your concern. I'm not in need, though. Why? Because I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Let me ask you a question. How would you respond and what would your heart do if you lost everything you have right now? Do you see? It's not about balance. The bottom line, it's not about amount. It's not about what you have, but what you have is yours, right? I'll be honest with you. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I had a house fire... And I've stood before my house losing everything I own, but I also had incredible insurance. I can't imagine losing everything. Can you? I've heard this statement. I don't know where it originated, but have you ever heard this statement? That guy's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. I want you to listen to Luke 12, 32-34. It comes after, obviously, our passage this morning. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Did you hear that? I told you, He wants us to be wealthy. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then what does He say? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Wow. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In Matthew 6, Jesus puts it positively, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's so heavenly-minded that he's no earthly good. You know what? That's not what Jesus says. 
He says, if you are heavenly minded, you're going to be a lot of earthly good. Because if your treasure is really glory, if your treasure is really the next life, then you are able to sell your possessions and give it away. Wow. That's what he says. Now, why is that? It's because the one who is heavenly minded is convinced that heaven is his real wealth. And he can't wait to get there. The one who is heavenly minded, the one whose treasure is really in glory, is the one who says, that is my real wealth, and I can't wait to get there, and the stuff of this earth is just that. It's just stuff. It's Paul in 2 Timothy 4.8, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Even with all of our covetous heart, God looks at us and he says, Dear friend, I have made him who had no sin to be sin for you, so that in him you might become the very righteousness of God. Have you ever been in a room of wealthy people that made you feel poor? They talked among themselves and, and, and you just kind of felt like you didn't belong. I've been there many times. And you know what this is telling us? They are not the ones that should be pitying us or you. But we are the ones that should be pitying them. Do you know you're wealthy this morning? Do you know that you are stinking, filthy, rich in Christ? Do you know that if you died in this moment, every good thing that you've tasted in this life would come in the fulfillment of the presence of Christ and you would experience an infinitely more amount of joy and pleasure and deep happiness than you've ever experienced with anything in this life? Take the greatest experience, the best duck hunt for Richard, the best fishing trip, the best whatever, that is nothing compared to what it's going to be like with Jesus. Nothing. People could come in here right now and threaten your life and you'd say, take it. My life is nothing. Why? Because my life is in glory. It is invested in another place. Is that a living reality for you? You can take my wealth. You can take my riches. You can take what little I have. You can take my running shoes, my brand new running shoes. You can take my brand new sunglasses, whatever that little treasure is. Because guess what? I won't need them in glory. Is that a living reality with you? Then here's the, here's the, the proof that it is. You're generous. You don't protect your stuff. You're generous. When you lose something, you're okay. You're not destroyed. When God says, no, sorry, you're not going to have this, whether it's something like a spouse or something, it's okay, I'm enough for you because I'm your real wealth. Dear friends, when, when God commands us not to covet, and when He tells us to be content in the New Testament, He is not commanding something for super saints. He is saying, this is what every believer must possess to be a believer. If Jesus is not your real wealth then you're not a Christian. Say, Richard, wait a minute. That's the whole gospel. (laughs) It's that there's something better. And to become a Christian, you say no to that and yes to this. Does that mean that you never covet again? Absolutely not. 
In fact, Jesus loves covetors. And do you know right now whatever conviction you have in your heart and all the conviction I've had all week, and I'm so ready to enter another week? You know it's so beautiful. It's all week Jesus said, yeah, you are, Richard. You got it. You got it. You are. But you know what? You're my child, and I love you. And you can let go, and you can fall into me. You can trust that I'm really that good. You can trust that I'm really your wealth. You can do so by giving more than you would normally give. You can do so. You can do it. You know why? Because no matter what you lose, no matter what you give, you got me. And dear friends, I hope that's the message you're hearing this morning. Do you have Jesus? Does he have you? It's not about how much you give. It's about you turning your heart from trust and security in the things you have and saying, yes, I want you. I'm going to end simply by reading this passage. Revelation chapter 3. The letter to the church in Laodicea. Listen to this. It's beautiful. And to the angel in the church in Laodicea write, the words of... The Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, now why is someone lukewarm? For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so to be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You hear that? He sees the church's uh, covetous heart. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. See, he's anxious to give you the kingdom as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. Do you see Jesus is longing to sit and eat with you on His throne? And then it ends with this. He who has an an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Dear friends, Jesus is knocking. He wants to give you something so much better. May we open the door this morning and may we let him in and prove himself to us that his wealth is greater than anything we could attain in this world. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you that you look at us as greedy, stingy, covetous men, women, boys and girls, and you say, I stand at the door and I knock. You are knocking. 
You are not turning your face ashamed. You are knocking, saying, let me in. I want in. I want to eat with you. I want to dine with you. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you're that kind of God. Thank you that you're a God that doesn't leave us to our sin, but you knock on our hearts through our conscience, and you use just normal mornings like this to do it. Oh, God, would you open many people's hearts this morning. Would you open my heart to let you in, that we might eat together, that we might laugh together, that we might sup together, that we might dance together, that we might live together. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you do that for us? Would you empower us to open the door of our hearts? May we overcome the fear, the anxiety, the worry. Oh, Jesus, would you come and just let us fall into you for the glory of God. Would you allow it for us this morning? We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, dear friends, may we tithe like we've never tithed before. May we offer like we've never offered before. May we give like we've never given before. Because we are free to do so. So as an act of not just obedience, but absolute love, may we bring our tithes, may we bring our offerings this morning. For the glory of Christ and the good of our own soul. Amen.